Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Be clear about what you want to do. Be clear about how you can achieve that and stick to that. Don't change it depending on who you talk to. Like, know where you're going. Be very focused on where you're going. And don't think about the politics as much as thinking about what is my goal and what is unique about me to get me there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I hope you're well. For those of you coming for the first time, welcome. Thanks for subscribing. It means a lot. And I hope you enjoy this as much as I do and the guests and the audience that has been so supportive. You know who you are. And I want to thank you guys, too, who've been there from the beginning or parts of the beginning or came along the way. Your support, your subscriptions, you are passing it on to other people. It's just incredible what you've done for this show, and I will never forget it. And if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram or at BarryKatz.com. I would love to hear from you, and I will reach out to you as soon as I can. Sometimes it takes longer than I want, but I will reach out to you, I promise. And when I look across from my guest today, Bill Hillary, an amazing man. I think of a guy who started with a lot of adversity. The war-torn areas of Ireland that he grew up in to the first offices he had at the BBC being blown up five different times. This is a guy that has always driven forward, made great choices, and known how to navigate through a myriad of different executives to rise to the top of four of the most respected entertainment companies in the world. A guy who was the president of Fuse TV, somebody who was the chief executive officer and president of BBC America, and also the general manager and executive vice president of Comedy Central for five years, 
and the driving force behind getting the Chappelle Show deal done, which no one had been able to wrangle Dave Chappelle in over six years for television, and he was able to do it. Not only that, to be able to be at a network when you're overseeing shows like The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and South Park and The Office. This guy has been there, seen it, done it, and figured out a way along his journey to be able to forge great relationships and keep doing great things over and over again, whether it be in the digital world or the traditional television world. And now working as the CEO and president of Moment to Moment, M2M, where they have an initiative where they already have a slate of more things than I can count in the development, financing, and production of feature films and scripted and unscripted television. This guy is a force, always been a great guy, always talent-friendly, knows how to deal with people internally in the walls of a big company, a mid-sized company, feature film productions, anything. This guy can make it happen. And he makes it happen through his demeanor, through the way he works with people, and his talent relations. And I know it sounds vague, and I know it sounds general, but it's not. It's a formula that's tried and true. And wherever you are in business, if you can figure out how to deal with the adversity, keep coming back over and over again, know how to talk to people, know how to navigate, know how to work your way in and out of people, not just in front of the camera and behind the camera or wherever you work, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Bill Hillary has. Okay, here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. So you got this salary at the BBC, which is really nice. You get the offer from Comedy Central, and the offer financially didn't move you. You knew you were going to take the job because, like you said earlier, you said, in your own way, respect outlast cash, and you're going to take it. But people don't understand what it's like to negotiate at the highest levels. It's a tough negotiation. Are you in a situation where you have in your mind what you want and you think you got to a place where the farthest they would go? Or as an executive at your high level who's been through so many negotiations after you take the job, do you say to yourself, fuck, I think I left money on the table? <laughs> I never regret. But what I do do, because at the end of the day, you know, how long is a piece of string? It's like, you know, it can be anything. 
you know, I, I'm very practical. So the minute they made the offer, I actually, because I have two young boys, and so I've moved my whole family to New York. Um, so then you have to work out how long is the contract? How much is it? How much does it cost to live in New York? How much does it cost to do schools in New York? How many flights do I get there? You know, you've got to do the practical things. Then for me, you know, in any negotiation, you have to be prepared to walk, even if you love it, have to be. Then you're, Because then you're not negotiating. And, you know, some of the negotiations I've had with, you know, John Stewart, who's complete genius, and Matt and Trey have been pretty tough. But you have to be prepared to walk. Otherwise, you know, it's it's not worth doing. So even whenever they offered me the job at Comedy Center and I wanted it and I was very excited, I had a cutoff point where I, where I, I knew what I needed and I wasn't going to move to New York unless I got that cutoff. Then everything over, that was icing on the cake. Was there ever a point in negotiation where you said to your representative, tell them I'm passing, I can't do it for that? Do you know, there wasn't on that one. That was not a difficult negotiation. There have been jobs that I've been offered where I've said, there's no way, you know, and, you know, there's one person tried, said, well, we want to offer you a contract. Well, I'm not going to leave a job where I'm guaranteed pay for a year if there isn't a contract. So let's not talk anymore until that's the case. And one of the things that the audience should know about these gigs is that normally in the negotiation is something for somebody like bill that there wouldn't be for if there was a person who they were hiring from los angeles or new york well mainly los angeles which is relocation fee yeah. and sometimes the relocation fee can be for an artist taking a show it might be seventy five hundred to fifteen thousand dollars right but for a CEO who's got to get here and move his whole family over, it can be a real significant thing. Yeah. And so you get to Comedy Central and obviously you have a month or more to think about it. You tell your bosses at the BBC, which must have been difficult, that you're leaving because they must have said, well, we didn't even get a chance to match anything. We didn't get a chance to do anything. You know, I think, to be honest with you, they were pleased for me as well. Um, my overall boss, Greg Dyke, mm -hmm. who was then the chairman of the whole of the BBC, actually came to my office and said, look, we're sorry to lose you, but it's a very interesting opportunity. But I have to tell you that America is a juvenile country. <laughs> 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 and sometimes I think he was right, but uh, that's exactly what he said to me. But, you know, if I was your age, I'd take the risk. Actually, they were very good. They were like, I'd take the risk, but they know who I am. They know I'm going to take a risk. So you get the Comedy Central. So your first order of business, normally there's something on a person's brain. Was it to take as many pitches in the first month as you could and sort of hear what I have to say? Sometimes presidents actually take their executives and they go to each agency and have the agency pitch all the things that they're working on. What was your initial process? We did all those things. We, we did all those things. We did lots of meetings in L.A. with the agencies. We did team meetings. We talked to the talent we had. We, you know, started to look at, like, who are our 10? Who are the 10 talent people that we already work with that we think we can do something with? You know, like, should we be working with Louis Black? Should we be working with Stephen Colbert? Although in those days, he was more of a junior. 
um, correspondent on The Daily Show. You know, what else can we do with John Stewart? I've Matt and Trey got something else. Like, what are the what are the low hanging fruit? And actually, one of the more controversial things I did, which John Stewart hated and Jimmy Kimmel loved, was I needed to get ratings up quickly. I needed one thing, so I bought a show that I knew had worked in the UK called Battlebots. Now, the comic element was not huge, and that's why I think John didn't like it, and I, I get that. Jimmy Kimmel loved it because the com- comedy was about the nerds that make the robots and they fight, and that did a huge rating for us. And actually, that carried us for about a year until I got everything else, because it takes a year, especially if it's scripted, at least a year to get something from the initial you know pitch through. And I was really, I mean, the thing that you've got to be careful of when you take over a network is that because you're under pressure, you start to make very quick decisions that you haven't thought through just because you've got to get something on air and you make the wrong ones because it takes another year after that once you've spent your money on those to get the next round. So actually, BattleBots, controversial though it was, kind of saved our ass because it got the ratings up. We could strip it um, during the week, so it kept ratings in every genre up. And that allowed us then to work with people like Chappelle, do Crank Yankers, Insomniac, and all the other things that we did that actually then became much more of the the uh, the foundation of Comedy Central. The second thing that you rallied around that you wanted to put on the air was what? I think it was probably Crank Yankers. So you take the pitch with Jimmy, Daniel Kellison, and Adam Carolla. Well, yeah, that's like those are fun pitches, you know. <laughs> it's like you don't get a word in edgeways. And Jimmy, uh, you know, while you're talking to him, is like flicking through your Rolodex to see who you know and going through the drawer of your your desk. And you're like, uh, those are my private uh, things. And, you know, Daniel Kellison's talking about himself. <laughs> and Adam's being Adam. I mean, they're phenomenally funny people. I love Jimmy Kimmel and that whole team. Was there a formal presentation with puppets or there was nothing? No, but I think we did a pilot. No, we did a pilot. And also, actually, that show, Simple and All It Is, it had huge... Legal. There were lots of legal problems with because it. you could only record in New in Jersey places. and Vegas. That's right. Certain places. The prank phone yeah. calls. Yeah, I think they're bringing it back. I heard they are bringing it yeah. back. Yeah, so, <laughs> which is fun. So yeah, and and then we did all the agency calls. Um, and again, you know, my strategy was, but not just to go through the agents. Because the problem with that is then you are getting what everybody else is pitched, no matter what they tell you. So I was very encouraging to go other directions and talk to comedians themselves, talk to managers as well as agents, you know, look right across the board. Because it's very easy to do the formulaic thing and go, okay, let's go to William Morris today and CAA tomorrow and UTA on Thursday. And then, you know, but you got to remember that their clients are clients that they're pitching to 10 different people. And if you're Comedy Central, you've got to be unique. You've got to take the risk. You've got to be out there. And you're never going to be out there just by buying the same thing as everyone else has pitched. And that's why, in a way, BattleBots did work, even though it wasn't the strict comedy show. Um, so, so there's lots of rights to go. If you can, take us through the day before you ever had any thought process of having Chappelle and Neil Brennan come in and pitch Chappelle's show to how it got greenlit and went okay. forward. So I, I met with them. Um, now, whose initiative was uh, do you know it? Who, do you know who was the first person to say, you've got to meet this person? Because that's what happens. It was a woman called Lauren Gray. And she did all the stand-up 
comedy and I'd gone to her and said look which of the comedians are you working because this is what you do rather than just going to the, the the managers and the agents who do you believe should be a talent that we invest in exclusively in Comedy Central at least have their major show on Comedy Central um, and she brought a couple of people um, and Chappelle was one of those people that she really believed in um, I met with him I do think he had a two-year deal with Fox, a first, not first look, like he couldn't work anywhere else. Because when I first met Chappelle, you know, you know, you always ask how 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 long will you tie someone up for, how big a contract will you give them, and he'd been at Fox for two years, nothing had gone to pilot, he'd brought all these ideas, and nothing had happened, so he was very, he didn't want to you know, do a deal which tied him for two to three years, but we couldn't invest in somebody that wouldn't give us that commitment. So that was one of the the sticking points. So he had a deal with Fox that didn't go anywhere. And I had to wait until that deal was finished, which I think was about a month after, obviously we, we talked about doing something a month after we met. And then very quickly we made the pilot. I saw that on the 2nd of July, because I remember, you know, in I was in LA um, and, I really liked it. I really thought it had a voice that was unique. It was political, but in a very entertaining way. And it really made you think about race and America and what's happening. Um, and literally a week after that, I mean, that was the great thing about Comedy Central. It was very small. So we could just make those decisions very quickly. And what's odd is that it wasn't a show that was a huge budget. Yeah, but he had 50% of the back end. But the back end doesn't come in until... No, but, but here's the thing. They were smart enough to realize that the DVD sales alone were going to be you know, way more important than a big. So they went, you know, which I think is a very smart thing to do. You go for the back end, even though you may not get it. Um, and he made a fortune out of that. And no other show had ever sold that many DVDs. Highest selling DVD. And so one of the things you did with the deal with Chappelle that was always surprising to me, because he had such bad experiences in television, and normally every television deal is six, six and a half years, but the Chappelle deal was two years. Yeah. And that shocked me that anybody would do a deal with anybody for two years, knowing that if it was a success, they're in trouble because they're going to have to try to get that person back. Yeah, he wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't have got him for any longer. He'd had a bad experience. Was that hard selling the powers that be? Hey, we have to do a two year deal with this. One. No, because the pilot, well, because the pilot was good and we could see it. And quite honestly, better to have him for two years than not at all. Um, and I don't think we would have got him at all had we tried to tie him. He'd been pretty much burned by the Fox deal. And also, you know, the great thing about Comedy Central in those days was it was about relationship. I got on very well with him. Uh, you know, I, I, a famous night, we did a, an animated series with Robert Evans. Um, and we had a big party launch at his house in L.A., very Hollywood, very, you know. And Chappelle was there, very out of sorts, didn't like being there, didn't really want to be part of the L.A. scene. And so our talent wrangler came, oh, you need to talk to Chappelle, he's not happy, blah, 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 blah. And so I went to talk to him, and I think I mentioned earlier, 
you know, we talked about Northern Ireland, we talked about the Troubles, we talked about South Africa, we talked about race politics. I mean, I was blown away. I was absolutely not bored. I really liked talking to him. And I realized just how smart he really was. And that his com- comedy came from somewhere that he really thought through. It wasn't, you know, I'm the next Richard Pryor. He had a real unique message and something new to say. Um, so we'd built up a very good relationship. And there was the odd Sunday morning when I got a call at nine going, Chappelle doesn't want to go into the studio. And I'd go down from the Upper West Side, New York, and we'd talk and, you know, uh, we had a good relationship. It's all about relationship at the end of the day. And, you know, I say that to people as well. You can sign somebody up for six years, but if they don't want, especially comedians, they don't want to work for you, what are you going to do? Force them to come up with jokes? I mean, never going to happen. And I would rather do something which is not a long contract where it's built on relationship than something that they resent after two years because you're still not going to get the work out of them. You're in your offices, the show premieres, when do you know, and everybody knows at Comedy Central, holy shit, this yeah, it was, is it, it, was, it was the first show. The first show? Yeah, because we did marketing for it. And also, to be really honest with you, not everybody wanted to do that show. Our research were saying things like, oh, it's too black and, you know, it's a white audience in Comedy Central. Ad sales were worried about it being, the guys who sell the adverts were worried about it being, you know, outrageous. Um, so there was some resistance. I remember this so well because, you know, I kind of put my neck. But again, if you don't put your neck on the line, you're not going to come up with good things. So I kind of put my neck on the line. And I remember before the second one thinking, we have a hit. And the great thing about cable is after the second show and the ratings were really good, all of the people who sell the ad sales were like, we love this show. We <laughs> want to take it out. And sometimes you've got to believe in it and you've got to believe in yourself. If, if you do everything by looking at what everyone's point of view is, sometimes you've got to go with, I believe in this, I'll go with my gut. You've obviously got to listen to everyone, but at some point someone's got to make the decision and go, this is a show I believe in and I'm going to make it work. All right, I want to go way, 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 way back. Way back, right. Take us back to where you grew up. Take us back to your family, your brothers and sisters. And what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy fucked up business? I grew up, a very strange uh, background. I I grew up in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Um, The trouble started, you know, when I was a teenager. It was pretty rough. Um, My parents were evangelical Christians. Uh, I did not... Um, I wasn't part of that. My brother was a lawyer and then he became pastor of a church and my sister um, was a a housewife. So I grew up in a pretty conventional family, Um, but at an early age, I was really interested in music, you know, Marvin Gaye, um, punk rock. And I actually started playing in a a rock band. And first of all, it was a Christian rock band. And then I left that because I couldn't really, I wasn't part of the message. A Christian rock band. Yeah, they actually did very well. And at that time, you two were very much into that. And it was, you know, the Waterboys, etc. And it's then I really got my taste of entertainment and being on stage and, you know, and I always watched a lot of television. I always loved comedy. Um, so I applied for a job at the BBC in radio, uh, not television. I wanted to work in TV and I got the job. I went, was interviewed. And you were going to school and your major was? Law. So your parents were excited. You're going to be a lawyer. Yes. (laughs) My parents were, will we see you on the screen? And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm doing. And they're like, are you sure you want to do this? They, 
they didn't really understand it, but they were supportive. But they didn't. They were supportive. Then you went to, yeah. to all that law yeah. school, and then you went into. <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah. Well, they also knew me, and I'm very hard. Once I decide to do something, that's it. I'll do it. I'll make it work. So I, I, I started working in radio. I uh, did a daily radio program. Certainly not what I want to do, you know. So, and like my advice to anyone starting off is is take any job you can get in the industry to get in there and then work your way up. That's kind of what I did. Eventually, I got a director's job and they, they, BBC were fantastic at training you. So I did a single camera directing course and I also did multi-camera directing. So I directed Sinead O'Connor Live. I did all sorts of music uh, and we had like weekly uh, programs where I directed them. Um, wow. Did that for a couple of years and then they, you know, because I was doing well, they asked me to take over the what they call the youth programs unit there, which is for 18 to 34 year olds, which I did. And I did some groundbreaking shows there. Um, and then I got headhunted to go and join the unit in London, a similar unit in London. Um, so I left Northern Ireland and went and jumped into the big smoke. I stayed there for a year at the BBC and then I became a freelance and worked for Channel 4. Um, did all sorts of shows that people in America wouldn't have heard of, but they were they were shows that were on the edge, edgy shows that were risk taking, but intelligent and made people think about their viewpoint of the world and of themselves. Uh, entertainment shows, like they were fun, fun shows. Um, and I've worked with lots of talent in the UK, comedians, you know, right across the board. Uh, most people here probably wouldn't know, and musicians as well. Um, and I did that for many years. Then I ran Granada Television, uh, entertainment and children's. You know, I did a drama series uh, called Children's War, which was um, written by Russell Davies, who then went on to write Queer Eye, and then went on from Queer Eye to write uh, Doctor Who for the BBC. So, you know, so I've worked with some amazing talent right across the board. Um, I then went back to the BBC, which is the last job I had in the UK. And I did that to, um, I was running, the BBC is, is a huge corporation funded by what's called a license fee, which people pay for. I think it's about 150 pounds a year. But for that, they get four major channels, a lot of digital channels and a lot of radio stations. Um, and they have a big in-house production unit. But because they want to keep competition in the marketplace, they don't want a monopoly at the BBC. So 25% of all of the BBC's output had to come from independent producers who were not owned by the BBC. And I ran that. So I ran 25% of the BBC's output. That was the last job I had. So it was a huge job. I think I can't remember the budget. It was like a billion pounds. It was huge because they have four network channels and, you know, all the rest. And then I got the call from Comedy Central. And so the budget for the year at Comedy Central, what percentage of that was from the beat? You know, I, I honestly genuinely don't remember, but it was, I think it was about 120 million. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, 
and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. And so after Comedy Central, what happened? After Comedy Central, I got headhunted to go and run BBC America, the channel, which I enjoyed doing. I'd obviously knew British product, you know. How was that different than the first BBC job? Oh, much smaller. Uh, and it was taking BBC shows. A lot of them existed. Some didn't, but a lot existed and repackaging them here and building the network uh, into like a much bigger network, getting distribution. Um, but I'd been here five and a half years at Comedy Central, so I knew America pretty well then. Um, and, you know, we did lots of shows there, drama shows uh, from ITV and BBC, British product. We rebranded the network. We built our digital, you know, we put in a marketing team. So it became a very mature network then. Um, and I did that for about three years. And then I felt at the end of it, you know, I'd done, there wasn't a lot more to do there. It was doing well. You know, they they would continue to bid it to build it and then i were I, I took you see this is what i mean by taking risks i took a, a kind of a side turn and went to work for an advertising agency called interpublic group and i wanted to do that because i really wanted to understand 
you know, the funding mechanism for content for programming. So I work with advertisers who funded movies and some reality shows where they put the budgets in up front and then they sold them as a license to the network. Sounds very complicated. Um, working with Bill Sella. So I did that for a couple of years. And then another sideways step was to work with a guy called John Heyman, who you wouldn't know, but he's a famous film guy who's been around for was around for a long long time he actually invented debt financing for major movies like disney he knew he knows them all news you know rupert murdoch and Iger. he's kind of an a, a iconic british guy and i worked with him for three years we had a partnership where we sold shows in internationally um and he really taught me all about the international market it was such great fun um and then john got ill um, and another headhunter asked me, they'd been talking to me for quite a while about would I be interested in coming to run Nouveau TV. Um, and I'd said no because I didn't, you know, it was a small cable station. I'd run big ones and small ones. Was this before or after Jennifer and this Lopez? This was after and- because Jennifer, it was Jennifer Lopez really that she wanted someone with experience. Um, so she, they'd done the deal with her and then they brought me in. Uh, to to run it, run the creative. I wasn't the president. I was the, cr- the creative side. Then they bought Fuse and made me present over everything uh, of creative and marketing and international, not the affiliate sales uh, side. And I did that for about five years altogether. Um, we worked with Gabriel Iglesias, with Jennifer, you know, with a lot of talent across the board. Um, it was a fun time. They're a great team of people. I love the Latino market. I'm not sure at the end of the day if I totally believe that the Latino audience need or want a standalone Spanish language or English language Latino network, but it was pretty popular. I left that, you know, because you know, I'd done my time. It was fun. It was a great team. We brought Gabe in. We did Big Frida. You know, there were lots of shows that actually were working. Um, but I decided I wanted to get away from corporate. And as you've seen in my career, I have taken sideway moves because I have to really be excited about something and believe in it. So I've set up my own company with a young, hungry business guy who's, um, you know, who is like, like if I have a fault, it is sometimes I'm not that pushy. And in America, you've got to be pushy. Um, and, I, you know, I'm not a street fighter. Um Frankie, my partner, is. <laughs> uh-huh. He's a hustler. He's out there and he's going for it. And I'm the backup. I come through and go, okay, let's do this. So we've sold, we have contracts um, in hand on six reality series. We're doing a development deal uh, with a big Chinese company in the BBC that I unfortunately can't talk about. Uh, and we have three independent movies. One is in production. Two, we hope to have the deals done. So that's in two years we've kind of done that. And these are things that we want to do. Again, it's it's passion projects that we want to be involved in with talent we want to be involved in. And I hope doing something different uh, rather than just the run of the mill. Let's do another cookery show in a kitchen with five stars, you know. I believe with this venture, if I'm not mistaken, one of the things that you've tried to be involved with or figure out something to be involved with is the Ball family. We are involved. I'm not sure how much I'm supposed to say about that, but yes, we are. They've I'm got, sure if you don't say it, the father will say They've got their own show, um, and we're doing a show 
which they're involved. It's, it's their show. They're involved in it, but we're exec producing and helping them get it off the ground and fund it. It'll be one of our shows. So yeah, we're working with them. We're working with all their major talent. Unfortunately, it's too early yet, and I don't want to talk unless the deals are signed. Tell our audience the most crazy, bizarre pitch that you've ever oh. had in your entire lifetime. What happened? Well, I, I tell you what I think is the most terrible one. Um, and somebody really believed they could make 21 hour shows. It was called Stars and Their Scars. And it was it was basically the stories behind Stars Scars. Which I just don't get. I like you know, what is it? It's, you know, I've had a cesarean section, so have a look at my scar and I'll tell you the story. Or my face is like being, you know, scarred forever. I just don't get that. I don't get 20 weeks of it either. Um, and then, you know, every now and again, of course, you get the mad sex people who come in with ideas that, you know, nobody is ever going to broadcast. But this is a professor. When I was at Channel 4, there was a, a lady professor who basically wanted a show where people had sex live on television and she analyzed whether the sex was good or not and what it meant and all of that. And it's very hard to sit there and hear the pitch all the way through when you're thinking, we are never going to be able to broadcast that. So there, there have been quite a few. And then there are just some, you know, the worst are, the, are people who really don't understand tv at all but just i've had an idea and you you sort of feel for them but you want to say you need to figure out what this really is and i think it's important for the audience because you've heard so many pitches one of the pitches you mentioned that you bought were three guys who if they weren't who they were you probably wouldn't have bought the show because they weren't doing the pitch properly. Right. You said you have Jimmy Kimmel looking through your Rolodex. Well, no. Well, but you have Adam Carolla being himself and yeah, you have uh, Daniel yeah, Kelson talking about himself. They weren't unified. Yeah, but, but you know, they're, I mean, I didn't, that's not a criticism. They're talent. You know, like they're, they are naturally entertaining and natural entertainers. So unless the idea, you know, that you can formulate an idea with them. And as long as Jimmy spends time on it and they spend time on it, you know, you've got an, a chance of getting something really good out of it. You take that risk. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career.
forever. If there was a formula for the best pitches that you've heard, just like people say, hey, when you're interviewing for a job, you should do this, this, and this. For pitching, you've heard so many pitches. What is the formula that always works for well, you? I, I can tell you things not to do as well. <laughs> okay, that'd be uh, great. But, but, but I think the most important thing is passion. You've got to believe in the project. Like, don't bring in a sheet of paper with 12 ideas on it and go, well, I don't really care which one you take. You know, you've got to believe in the project. And there are people who do that. You like it better when people come in and it's this one is, thing. Yes. Yeah, I really believe in this. Because sometimes what happens, as, and this might have happened to you once in your lifetime, somebody comes in and they pitch the show and you being the honest person you are, they finish pitching and you say, look, it's a great pitch, but I don't think the network's going to do a show like that. Is there anything else you have? Right. And then the thing they pitch off the top of their head, you that's, buy. That's different, though, because because that's usually talent. If you're just talking about an ordinary, like if it's talent, if it's Jimmy Kimmel, and you go, I don't think that's going to work, what else do you have? Because you know he in himself is talent and, and entertaining. But if you're just pitching ideas, I think you've got to believe that this is for, that's the first thing. Second thing, you've got to understand where you're pitching it to. Like I remember, you know, even in the UK, people come in with pitches. They've obviously pitched other network and they kind of like tip X out the name and put Comedy Central in or whatever. And then you just feel it's like you're just part of a like they don't really care where it goes as long as they get it off the ground. For me, it's important that people understand what's on the network, why this fits into the network, why it's a Comedy Central show or a BBC America show or a Nouveau show. You know, and because you need to know where it's going to end up and whether it will work there. And then the third thing is that uh, you, I don't like, some people do, but I really don't like it when people go, well, this show is like Game of Thrones and something else, Manifest, all put together in a, because everybody wants something original. Like, your show needs to stand out. This is a very crowded market, more crowded than ever with Amazon and Netflix. So what is it about your show's unique? The first paragraph needs to hit the commissioner in the head and he said why is it unique what is different about it why does it fit on that network and why do people want to watch it first paragraph then when you've got through that you can go into all the details um, but if it's not unique it isn't going to win anymore and you know even there have been big shows especially comedy shows in the last 10 years with big stars and they haven't worked because there's nothing particularly unique um, and for me, it's always a red flag when someone goes, well, this is a bit like The Daily Show, but The Daily Show is unique because John Stewart is a genius and unique. And so is Stephen Colbert and so is Matt and Trey. Don't try to copy them. You know, never, I would never do that, especially with big success for shows like that. Tell me somebody who came in and pitched to you a show where you just didn't see it you almost were thinking don't let the door hit you on the way out yeah. and then another network bought it and it became successful yeah I'm trying to think and it's not me being coy I really um, usually that happened because we couldn't afford it or you know because a lot of people would come to us at Comedy Central and quite honestly of course if they got it off on HBO they'd go there you know so there were shows that I wanted that I didn't get because there isn't any way a, we could outbid HBO or or whatever. I can't think of one, though, that we turned down. And I'm genuinely trying to think, then became a huge 
hit on another network. Also, to be honest with you, especially at Comedy Central, it's so such a unique channel. There aren't that many other places to go. And quite honestly, people will go to HBO before Comedy Central because there's no advertisers there and they pay better. So there wasn't that many other places. To, I'm trying to think of one show that we passed on that went somewhere else. The one show I wish we'd had were the Boondoggles, which we didn't get. I'm not sure where that ended up, maybe on Turner Networks, but uh, I always loved them and I always wanted to do that show. Um, but it never happened. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Right. And you tell me what comes to mind. Could be a word, a sentence, a story, right. anything. Neil Brennan. Fun, smart, good writer. Adam Carolla. Entertaining, a character. Mario Lopez. Very hardworking, entertainer, house, Latino household name. One of the first. Ricky Gervais. Genius. Brilliant writer, quirky ideas, best of British humor. Ben Stein. Funny, smart, quirky. Reno 911. Great little series, improvised comedy, very hard to do. I think we did three series, clever cast and crew. And John Landgraf was a producer. Of course, the president of FX. Wow. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel, smart, warm, funny, entertaining, a star. Gabriel Iglesias. Every man, incredibly funny family humor, appeals to a diverse, huge audience, a great entertainer. Dave Chappelle. My favorite, funny, has an important message, clever, can take simple things and make them very entertaining and amusing. Finally, John Stewart. John Stewart reinvented news in a way that he will never take the credit for. But when young people couldn't get their news, John Stewart created a comic vehicle. And we're kind of back to where we were at the beginning because comedy makes you think about the world in a different way and makes you question the establishment, which we should do in an entertaining way. John Stewart piloted that and I think very successfully brought it to a huge number of people, especially young people. The hardest thing for you, hearing the truth or telling the truth? Hearing the truth. I'm pretty straightforward. Your greatest holy shit moment story in show business. Oh, it, it was when Alexis Arquette on The Word in the UK told the dirtiest joke I've ever heard <laughs> on television. And I thought they would find the channel, take the show off the air and fire me. <laughs> Which all was possible. Your proudest moment in show business. Oh, it's always about the shows. I, I, I have more than one. Is that like there's probably three? You know, the Chappelle show. Absolutely. I, I think because it's exactly what I believe in. It, it did something very different. 
the second thing it was a, a very small regional show that we did in Northern Ireland when I was just a lowly producer at that time and it was where young people interviewed politicians or stars just four ordinary young people off the street and they interviewed the then head of police John Herman who was the guy who ran the police for all of the United Kingdom and they got him to admit that the shoot that they had a shoot to kill policy in Northern Ireland so they didn't want wait to talk to someone they shot them before speaking to them and before I got out of the studio someone had sent that to the news organizations and it was headline news all over the world and that was from Belfast a small regional show that only went out in Northern Ireland but made headlines right throughout the world I'm proud of that moment because I think it shows you can do something big with something small um, wow what a great thing you just said I don't want to derail you but it shows you that you can do something big with something small you don't need always to have lots of money and big talent. Sometimes you can really do something important. Uh, and a lot of the networks I've run have not had big budgets, but still had very important programming. Um, and you were about, about to think of something else. Really. Yeah, Chappelle, obviously here. And then the other thing is, because I love traveling, I've traveled all over the world and India. And How everywhere. many countries have you been to? Oh, I don't know. I one of those maps once, but I've been all over. I, uh, I was going to say I haven't been to Africa, but I have. I've been to Africa several times. Um, but I've, you know, I've spent months in India. Um, I've done all of Central America, some of Latin America, Asia, China, all over the world. And I did start off the Lonely Planet on Channel Four, um, and I was proud of that because that's the typical example of taking a different route. When they came with that idea, they had two models presenting, a male model and a female model, both very good looking, but not very bland. And the whole thing about the Lonely Planet is you're supposed to go and live in Uzbekistan and actually fit in with the people and find out about the culture. So I made them go and bring in people who'd never done television before, but had traveled. And one guy was working in a market in South London he had bad teeth. He was like not a television presenter at all, but he traveled the world and he'd almost died traveling the world and he was the real deal. And I think he did all 17 years of it. I mean... Did you spend the money with the network to fix his teeth? <laughs> we did, actually. We did. That's terrible. I'm not going to even say his name. So, but I was proud of that series because it was... Um, it lasted and it was very different and the perceived wisdom was oh no you need you need very good looking presenters which is very american of course um and then the last one was a show called euro trash with jean-paul gaultier is a big french presenter and and um oh no jean-paul gaultier the designer and antoine de Cohn, and that ran on on uh, channel four for long and the big breakfast and the word <laughs> i could go on forever sorry i'll stop now your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level? I think the biggest disappointment sometimes, if I'm really honest, is when either agents or managers work against the talent's best interest, what I believed was, and I just couldn't do a deal. And it was more just not being able to convince certain talent that they should be on the network and I'm running. Maybe that's the biggest disappointment. And you go, I don't know what more I can do. And there probably is nothing more you can do, but you still feel pretty lousy because it means they don't believe in the channel and they don't believe in what you're doing. You said something early on about how 
sometimes it was better not to go through the agents and managers and whatever. Did you ever feel like when those things were happening to do something very unorthodox and just knock on the person's door and say, I would rather just talk to you and find out if you want to do this or not because we we never did that but you know i suppose the truth is when we did so much stand-up com- comedy every friday night at the hudson theater we did get to know comics you know and the, and the managers weren't always there and depending what level it was so so that i mean i don't think we ever get into trouble or we ever pissed anyone off um but we did talk to talent directly um in fact i think we talked to Chappelle pretty much directly at that time but he was kind of in between he didn't even have a manager no so you know we did talk to him directly but i wouldn't do that i mean if they have a manager you know i the best way is always to be open you go to the manager i suppose where i get disappointed if they just don't get what you want to do on the network actually i do think of one talent i was incredibly disappointed um and they just didn't want to be in comedy central and they were big talent and it wasn't even about the money. I didn't care if it was about the money or they wanted to do a special on the HBO. I get that. That's completely understandable. They just didn't want to be on Comedy Central. And I couldn't understand why. What advice do you have for the young executive who's moving up through the ranks and to navigate and have the kind of career you have? But also, what advice do you have for the young comedy talent? How to move up? What kind of comedy to do? how to build your brand in a way that gets noticed by somebody like you. And then when they do, how do they come in and convince you to do something? And then after they convince you, how do they put it together to where you look at the video and you're like, that's who I want to have on my network? Well, let's take the executives first. I think my advice is believe in your ideas and your creativity as much as yourself. Don't just believe in the politics, but actually what you want to do. Be clear about what you want to do. Be clear about how you can achieve that and stick to that. Don't change it depending on who you talk to. Like know where you're going. Be very focused on where you're going. And don't think about the politics as much as thinking about what is my goal and what is unique about me to get me there. And to young comic talent, wow, that's so hard. Believe in your voice. Don't give up. I mean, honestly, that's what it's about because it's so subjective anyway, comedy, that there are people out there who will want your voice. And it's hard when you start, but do as much stand-up as you can. Get to be known on the circuit, but have a unique voice. A unique voice is more important than anything else when it comes to comedy. Don't copy anyone else. Just be unique. Bill Hillary, this has been amazing. I love your home. Thank oh, you thank for inviting you. us in here. Thank you very much. And it's been a long time no, coming. Has. Right. But I'm so grateful you Thank did you very this. much. You're thank very you. inspiring. Thank you very much indeed. It's been great to talk to you. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message. And one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. Landing on Motley This, January 18, 2017. Heading reads Abide, five stars. The comment reads, awesome. (laughs) Okay. 
a person of few words, congratulations. You are a winner. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Owen Smith, don't wait on Hollywood to give you permission to be great. What I did was every week we had a different director come in and direct an episode of Everybody Hates Chris. And so I would look up their credits on IMDb and if they directed a comedy special. And most of them were kind of like in Chris's universe. They may have directed them in a comedy special or or a, a movie project or what have you. I would take them to lunch and then I would ask them, how do you shoot a comedy special and I would take detailed notes and over the course of a year I felt very ready to shoot a special thank you so much for listening and have a great day as always this has been industry standard with me Barry Katz and if you like the show tell all your friends and if you don't like the show tell all your friends you get out the money Fancy call. All the people love you. Cause you're going for life is for the dreamers. They have all to gain. It's never quite over. Till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave. Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.